You're listening to The Real Movies Podcast, a podcast about documentaries. I'm Rob Carmack. I'm sitting here with John Rhodes. How's everybody out there? Today, John, we're talking about a little film from 2008 called Man on Wire. Impossible, impossible, impossible. He said, well, I want to I string a wire between the, the two World Trade Center towers. I knew he was a nut or a con man or something. As a child, I loved to climb. Nobody could stop me. If you want something, nothing is impossible. He told me he was a French journalist. It's impossible, that's sure. So let's start working. There's 200 feet between the towers. And there were going to be some guys in the North Tower. The whole idea would be that Jean-Louis would send the arrow from one building to another. What? Man on Wire is kind of a fascinating little documentary because most of everything took place... It was put together in 2008, but everything took place back in the 70s. And uh, this uh, this guy, Philippe Petit. Philippe Petit. He's a Frenchman. Yes. Philippe Petit. Um, I had never took French, so I have a terrible French accent. I couldn't tell. Um, anyway, he is a high-wire walker, and he... That is his art, and he is very proud of his art and what he does, and um, he decides that he is going to to wow the world by walking across these really, you know, large areas. So he walks across the two towers at Notre Dame, uh, Notre Dame, like the the real one, not the college. Um, because he's in France yes, and he can get there. Exactly. Um, he walks across, he walks across the, um, a bridge in Sydney, uh, Australia, and he sets his sights on the World Trade Center. Which really is, I guess, the Mount Everest of, for high walkers. Yeah, well. Or it was. I mean, yeah, exactly. It was, I mean, it was the, at the time, it was the two tallest buildings in the world, and they were just this giant, you know, um... They, they seemed like it was a perfect setup. Well, in, in fact, in the, the the events in this movie occurred in 1974, and while they're while they're being interviewed, they're talking about like the motivation behind it. So I think it was Philippe himself who said, "I felt like these were built for me yes. to do this because of their height and their proximity to one another. It was perfect for the ultimate high wire expedition." It, it shows how he put this team together. It shows how he gets you know. Um, he, he practices and, and the mindset he goes into and the planning that he goes into and it's like a heist movie yeah like it really the, is the, the beginning of the movie it, it doesn't even begin like a documentary it, it begins like an Ocean's Eleven or something yeah. like that it's very well and I, I thought the way that they shot this I thought the way that they told this story was fascinating because they actually start out at, at they are going into the World Trade Center and they start out with their story on him accomplishing his goal, which... Which hasn't been stated. Yeah, which, yeah, I mean, you just, you go through and, and they're telling the story and it's kind of like you pick it up halfway through and then it shoots back to him as a child and who he is and how he grew up and, and the story of, of why he has this passion. And so you kind of go back and forth and back and forth... And for some reason, I really like that. I usually don't like this, this, you know, cut-up story, but I thought they pulled that off really well. I did, too. Well, and, and also the thing is, and if I didn't already know what the movie's about, and if it weren't called Man on Wire, if it had another, like, more ambiguous name, 
I would have thought in that first five minutes, I would have thought this is about a terrorist plot because it's all yeah. about like getting getting together a team to like covertly sneak into the World Trade Center. Um, the I mean the two thousand you know the the nine eleven World Trade Center. Yes. So you know back in nineteen seventy four, and, and so I'm thinking in my mind, I'm thinking anyone who has no idea what this is about is going to go into this first thinking this is about a failed terrorist plot. Yeah, and... And it's not. It's not. And and one of the things... Okay, uh, I am not the most, like, you know... I, I don't know. I'm not the most patriotic, rah-rah, raise-the-flag kind of person. Like, I don't get really into, um, you know... America is so awesome. And it's not that I don't really love America. It's just that I sometimes think that we're full of ourselves. However, um... I'm gonna have to bleep you on that. (laughs) This is a very patriotic podcast. We can't can't be saying things like that. Anyway. Anyway. I I actually found myself seeing the World Trade Center like being constructed and and that part about the World Trade Center, that, like, got to me. I was like, <coughs> you okay? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. <coughs> I took a drink of coffee, and it just tried to kill me. Uh, <coughs> okay, so I you, mean, like, you gotta start over. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I am not the the most patriotic person in the world as far as rah-rah, go America. Um, I think that we look over our faults quite often, and uh, just rewrite history in uh, in a way that's preferable to us. However, I think that the the seeing of the World Trade Center is being built and kind of knowing in a post-9-11 world that this no, this doesn't exist anymore and this is not there, like, that was really kind of cool to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, knowing that these things were built and that that's kind of the background of yes, this was released post 9-11 and this is all about the World Trade Center and, and how it came up and what it did. Um, I mean, that that kind of got to me. I thought that was kind of cool. That that was, and I wonder if that's what sort of greenlit this project initially, was that like, what if, what if we talk about something that happened at the World Trade Center that maybe nobody really talks about? Right. You know what I mean? Which, it, it's amazing to me that I'd never heard this story. Because this is, this is a phenomenal thing that this guy did. And until, until I... I, I knew what the story was before I saw the documentary, but because someone else had seen the documentary and told it to me. Like, I, this isn't just, like, something that exists in American folklore. Like, right. I think it should. I, yeah. I feel like this is a bigger story than what it's become sort of in our memory. Yeah. And now, granted, I think that a lot of times it, most of the mainstream media would probably discourage stuff like this because that just encourages nut jobs to... I think the police do, would discourage yeah, stuff like this, To, for to sure. do illegal things and then people get hurt and, get, and killed and, and, you know, a lot of bad things can happen. Well, this is up there with, with like, the human fly kinds of stuff. And, yes. You know, it's, it's, it's exhibitionist performance stuff. Yes, so, it is. And, and it's I mean, it's, it's ridiculously dangerous. What he did was unbelievably dangerous. Um, this past week, there was a guy that walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope, rope, and he got so much press um, just this week. And so I watched the video, and part of me, like he was strapped into all these harnesses, like his um, the pole that he used was strapped onto his shoulders, the um, he has like 
I know that it wasn't holding him on, but there was like a safety um, harness attached to the rope to where if he fell, he was only going to fall about two or three feet. Mm-hmm. And Philippe Petit, like, illegally set the whole thing up, got up there, got his own pole, and just walked out. No safety net, no harnesses, no nothing. And so, after seeing all that was made about this, the, the guy that walked across Niagara Falls this week, and how much media publicity he got, it made me look at what Philippe Petit did and go, wow, he did about ten times what this guy did, and that was there, there's maybe five people who have ever lived in the world that could do what Philippe Petit did. I mean, oh really. My gosh, and this yeah. guy, I, this he's one of my favorite things about this documentary. He's very compelling. He's a very exciting, charismatic personality. I'm not surprised at all that he got a team of people together to go with him to do this ridiculously right. insane thing. Because he's 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 got that charisma. So um, every time he was on screen, it was interesting. He, he's, he's a really, really good subject for, for a documentary like yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, his... Just eccentric nature is is hard to take your eye off of, and you don't know if he's you know gonna do something great or do something silly or stupid or whatever. But he's you know you don't want to stop watching him. No, and also sort of in that because the interviews are obviously are much newer than the actual footage. Right. I was really impressed with the film quality of the footage from the 1970s. Yeah. That was amazing. Although I, I realized some of that was shot like for the for the purpose of this documentary. Like there there's a there's a scene where it's like shot from behind the, the point of view of a security guard. I'm pretty sure yeah. they didn't actually get that shot. Yeah. But I mean, but for the most like the 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 footage of him practicing, like that's real and that's right. really, that's really good film. For having been shot in 1974 on a home video camera, right? And for somebody that, um, if you if you like, you know, film and art films and kind of that old eight millimeter style shooting, these people do a great job. If you are into um, just like the cinematography, I think cinematography is sometimes uh, people's way of getting out about talking about the storyline they're like oh the cinematography is beautiful well this film actually is pretty beautiful like it does have a great storyline but there are some really really nice shots of old eight millimeter um film that uh i think they did a fabulous job of documenting it while they were putting it together they, and that and that, that all that is a really interesting part of this is that they they have put, recreated this entire story with stock footage. Yes. Like, that's amazing, really. I mean, the the fact that they were able to go back and find these archive photos and, and the, you know, the, the film of him practicing and all that stuff. They have a lot, I'm sure, and I'm sure there's a lot more than ended up on the cutting room floor. They have a, a lot of stuff that they were able to gather for this. That, that's impressive. I mean, the me. fact that it lasted 30 years, yeah. right? Them not knowing what would happen to it, where it would go, who would do anything with it. And then it made it into this film was incredible. Like, like there's a lot of stuff that went into into making this documentary. Yeah, and it's 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 so cool. I, and I, I wrote this out while I was writing it. It, it. This movie is so cool. It almost feels fictional. Yeah, like it, this this feels too real. Or this this feels too interesting and cool to be real. Right. You know, and, but it is. It's completely true. And um, I, I really I, I just enjoyed it. And so 
and what's interesting a lot of times when we're watching these documentaries I try and sort of like isolate the theme of, of what it, what exactly is the filmmaker trying to, to say about life about humanity and to me the ultimate idea here is that, that we can do anything like that there is there there is something there is something pure and good about simply doing exciting things not for not for practical purposes not for just like well why do you if I, in, in, at the end of the movie he's asked like why did you do this and he said, "There is no why. Yeah. Like, why? Why wouldn't I do this?" It's, and, and so I feel like his personality is is what's being driven here. In that sometimes you do things and it doesn't make sense. It's just there's something calling to you and you have to do it. And sometimes it's crazy. Yeah. And um, it's it, that that kind of thing that's really inspiring. So I enjoyed that. Yeah, and I mean, there's and there are other people in the movie that are trying to get you know trying to give us perspective on Philippe, like. Um, his girlfriend at the time who comes to New York just to sit with him and and be with him before they before he goes on his his walk across and she's trying to analyze who he is and what he's doing and why he's doing it and and uh, I mean she doesn't even know, but she knows that he has so much passion that he could not, he could not not do it. Yeah. Right? Um, he has to do, this is something that has driven him so passionately that he would not be a complete person if he didn't do it. Yeah. And his perspective on life is fascinating. Like, there, there's one point in the, in the story where he steps on a nail. You know, yeah. and and they talk about how, and, and that's you know he's come all the way to New York to do a high wire act, and he, he steps on a nail, and he has to be on crutches. A lot of most people, I would argue, would be devastated by that. Mm-hmm. His point of view, same exact situation. His point of view is he sees the crutches not as a handicap; he sees them as an opportunity. He thinks it's a gift because now he can, because he he now has opportunities to go places that he wouldn't have been able to go because people are generally more more kind and trusting towards people who have who are on crutches yeah and so he sees that he's like this is the best thing that could have happened because now security guards are opening the door for me They're nobody's me. asking for my id yeah he said all of a sudden i have all access because i'm on crutches so what what would have been this defeating kind of thing in the mind of philippe petit it's a whole brand new opportunity there's all kinds of new things that can happen now thanks to the fact that i'm thank god i'm on crutches yeah and so and to me, that there's a lot to be said for that. Like maybe a lot of our woes and our concerns and our our anxieties are just due to the fact that we don't see the world like this guy is able to. In fact, um, I think it was his girlfriend who said each day, talking about Philippe Petit, talk, she says each day is like a work of art for him. Yes, like he just has he has this outlook on life that is so exciting and so good and so positive that I mean. Yeah, being on crutches is a great opportunity. Like, what? What if we all went through life thinking that way? You know what I mean? That's that's and because it's not that. What that tells me is it's not my situation that gives me my outlook. It's my it, it's it's the filter through which I view all of reality. And that yeah. that to me is so inspiring and so cool. I agree. I mean, he he is fascinating. Um, the the cast of characters is also really interesting as well because I mean these guys follow him to New York and put themselves in a in a illegal very dangerous position um, yeah the cast is really I think in a lot of ways kind of what makes the movie full yeah you know, that's, it's good 
I mean, there's there's people that they just randomly meet up with, Americans. There's this guy, uh, Barry Greenhouse, who is responsible for, you know, sneaking them in and out of the World Trade Center. And, and so, I mean, it's just... And he's pretty eccentric himself. Is he the I mean, guy who's always high? No, 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 no. Barry Greenhouse is the guy with the crazy handlebar mustache. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he... Uh, he basically saw Philippe street performing in France and then talked to him for, you know, 20, 30 minutes. And he was like, I have to climb the World Trade Center. And he's like, well, I work at the World Trade Center. And then they struck up this deal. And <laughs> and so, you know, it's it's just that kind of thing. My, my wife was watching it with me. And her biggest concern is, where are they getting all the money to do this? That's a really good and question. And so, like, that's never addressed in the film. But, you know... I don't know. I, I often wonder that about people who are able to travel all over the world and just, you know, do their art or do whatever. Like, how are they getting backing? Like, who is putting up this money? How is this happening? Who flew this giant group of people from France to New York? Right. For this every long? single person responsible for their own flight. I mean, do you have so much passion in somebody that you're going to drop that kind of coin to go possibly be arrested? Or probably be arrested in oh, the United yeah. States, um, and and some of that leads us to to the end of the film. And and you know, I am not one that has to have all of my films wrap up in this nice, perfect little bow. Um, especially, sorry, especially since um, I don't think that reality ends that way a lot, and um, documentaries. I don't think always have to have a happy ending. And so, spoiler alert, this documentary has, has kind of a, a sad ending as far as relationships go. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when they're done with this high wire act, um, he gets arrested, obviously. Well, so does some of his crew. And they, they realize that for publicity purposes, the, the New Yorkers fell in love with this guy, and so they need to... They, they can't, like, crucify him because that will put them in a bad light amongst the people. So um, they'll, they'll downgrade all of his charges to... Um, disturbing you know, the peace. Yeah, disturbing the peace. So, I mean, yeah. just like, like a little ticket. And in exchange, he does like a big... He does like a street performance show. For the public. Which he would want, right? he would do for yes. free. Like, and he was not? like, absolutely, why would I not do that? <laughs> right? And so he he does that, but... That's like saying, we'll let you out of jail if you'll just go back and do it one more yeah, time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. If you'll do exactly what you just did again. Um, however, the, the rest of his crew, um, one of the guys got deported and kicked out and is not allowed to come back to the United States. Um, and there was definitely... At the end of the movie, there was this part where he was celebrated, but all of the rest of his crew was just kind of discarded. Um, as immediately after he gets out of jail, and he has this girlfriend that has flown over to the U.S. to, to comfort him, to be with him, to help him. And as soon as he gets out of jail, there's a girl that is there that is waiting on him. Um, and she basically seduces him, and he's like, heck yeah, let's go. And so... He gives all of that up as soon as he accomplished the goal. 
he kind of let the fame go to his head a little bit while the rest of his crew that was really responsible for making sure that it happened kind of got discarded and left in the dust. Yeah, he was not as committed to them as, as they were to him. Right. For sure. And, you know, the, and you have the... Um, oh, is it Jean-Louis? Uh, there's, there's one guy that's in there that's basically his childhood friend. And he, he cracked... Like, he breaks down and kind of starts crying because it kind of ended their friendship. Right? Yeah, that was... His, that his was success a... ended their friendship because he just kind of discarded them. Yeah. And so... And I thought that was... I thought that was unbelievably interesting. Um, and it didn't bother me at all. Like, a lot of times, like, when movies start to get real down and, and kind of, you know, become a Debbie Downer, then I'm out. But not not in this case. Like, in this case, I was like, wow, that's unbelievably interesting how this happened and I actually listened to um, a podcast by Stephen Tobolowsky this past week and he talked about how everybody prepares and and everybody really goes hard to achieve their goal but very few people plan on what do you do after you achieve that goal? That was a really good episode. By the way, he's John is referring to a podcast called The Tobolowsky Files, yeah. and that is a really good I don't remember the name of it, but that, that's a really yeah, good I think it was story. called um, uh, The True Arena. Yes, it was. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So, anyway. And so, and so how do you, um, you know, how do you deal with, with, if you accomplish your goal, if you, if you achieve that high, like, do you know what to do with yourself after that? And I think he ran into that classic kind of um, pitfall of, well, now that it's done, what do I do? Yeah. Like, now that all of this work is over, how, how do I go from here? And, um, I mean, you see time and time again, people don't handle fame well. People don't handle, if they just, like, come into a large sum of money, they don't handle it well. Because they haven't prepared, they prepared maybe... To get there, but they don't. They are not prepared with what comes next, and I I think that he falls into this. He's not prepared with the fame that came with it. He was not prepared with the excitement that came with it. He did everything he needed to do to accomplish his goal, but then was not. Didn't know what to do afterwards. It, well, it, I would imagine there's a double edged sword there also because if you. If you go into it with the mindset of, okay, after I conquer this giant thing, then I'm going to go do this other thing. Because if, if you begin to make plans, in my mind, it's almost like you have to be prepared to die, to be this passionate yes. and, and, and to do this crazy, dangerous thing. And so to begin making plans oh, he was prepared. That, he, said, he said, if I die, what a glorious way to die. Oh, I know. Right? I mean, he was definitely prepared to die. And so for someone in that mindset, they're... I don't think you can be in that mindset, but then also be thinking about, oh, okay, and then the next thing I'm going to do, because if you begin to plan out what happens after that, then all of a sudden there's, in, in my my estimation would be, you begin to become a little bit more intimidated about the first thing you're going to do, yeah. which might kill you, because then you yeah. can't do the next thing, you know what right. I mean? And so it's like almost like people who climb Mount Everest. Like, once you climb Mount Everest, if you live, 
then like you like you're saying, there's there's nothing else to do. But if you're really concerned about what you're going to do after you climb Mount Everest, you're probably not ready to climb Mount Everest. Right. So it's only it, like you, like I said, it's almost like this double edged sword. Like that's true. There's really no healthy mindset that w- that can prepare you for this kind of thing. Right, and I agree. I agree. It's a um, it really is. I mean, it really is a fascinating fascinating documentary from from all accounts <clears throat> because. You know, it, it it doesn't hold back. It shows every aspect of all of that kind of stuff. And it does it, – it gets suspenseful. It gets funny. It gets, um, you know, exciting. It's I, – I really like this documentary. The, the funniest part to me was when they were – like the day of the thing and they, they have the inter- – they're interviewing the different people on the – and I don't remember the guy's name, the guy on the crew. And he said – yeah, I was probably high that day. Yeah. He said, I was high every day for 35 years. There's no reason to believe I wasn't high on that day. <laughs> yeah, I think that was um, I think that was either David Foreman or Alan Wellner. I think it was David Foreman. There's a dude with a skull. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he did have a skull. <laughs> um, basically, he, yeah, he, he kind of flaked out on him. And um, <laughs> he was the one that was like, look. When, when we saw the cops the first time, I just ran down 110 flights of stairs because I wasn't really prepared to rig this thing for this guy to die. Yeah. And I didn't want to have any part in that. And that's something that, you know, I think it might be kind of downplayed here, but the mindset of these guys is they they know if they rig this thing up and he falls off, it's their fault. Well, it's and partially. one guy even starts listing off a list of potential charges like involuntary manslaughter, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like, he thought about that. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's good. He should have thought about that. Yeah. And so, you know, you got to be, you got to be almost just as crazy just to take part in it. Yeah. And um, I, I did think that the story of how they, you know, walked around the security guards and, and got back and forth and did it all under the cover of night. That was really exciting. And when they were hiding under the tarp. Yes. Like, that was just, like, I don't know how you make a documentary that you already know how it's going to end. I don't know how you make that suspenseful, but they did it. Yeah. That was really good. Let's do positives and negatives. Um, the positives, for me, were just, it, it was a really, I thought, well-done documentary. It was, I thought they did it a phenomenal job of intermixing 1974 into you know the the middle of 2000 um they i just thought it was beautiful i thought he was he was a wonderful subject to watch and to listen to and to to just hear his story and um you know i mean i i found it i found it fascinating i i had the same reaction i really I, just, I like him as a subject yeah. matter, even though in in the end, you know, he kind of bailed out yeah. on his friends. But as as a as someone who uh, the least cynical person I think I've ever encountered in film, and and just very compelling, very passionate, very you know dead set on conquest, just really really good subject matter, really exciting. It's it's a story. I'm glad I know. Um, we were talking about suspense. I, I just remember there's also a part. Where they're he's like right in the middle of climbing the wire, and they're telling the story like from the perspective of people who are on the ground. And I guess he dropped a piece of clothing, and mm-hmm. everyone and it was foggy, and so it, yeah. just, it looked like a person falling to his death. And so like that to me, like I felt like I was in that moment, like like what must it have been 
what must it have felt like to be looking up, watching this guy do that, and then to see this piece of clothing drop to the ground? Like, that would have freaked me out. Yeah. And so, I, the the adventure aspect of it and the, the the personality aspect of it, I thought was awesome. It was it was great. Uh, were there any negatives for you? Um, a few times, and this can happen with all documentaries. There's a few times where it got a little bit slow in some of the interviews. Yeah. And, um, I mean, you just have to be, I mean, some of that goes with the docu- the documentary territory, but sometimes, you know, it, they did a good job of picking it back up, but my only negative is just a few times it got a little bit slow. I had exactly the same complaint. I felt like right in the middle, like uh-huh. in the, if, if it's a three act structure in the second act, it just really starts to sag in the middle. And so I there, there's a there's a lot of frolicking in the woods yeah. that I, I probably could have done without just yeah. for the sake of time. Uh, also, I, and, and this is really just me. I can't say that this is a complaint about the documentary as a whole. I'm, I'm not that into the technical stuff. Like, they spent a lot of time describing, like, the physics of what they were going to be doing and, like, how they were going to rig and all the different equipment they were using. I would imagine there's a group of people out there who watch that and they're – really deep into those kinds of details. I'm just not that guy. So yeah. they, they started to lose me a little bit. I'm not even saying it shouldn't be in the movie. It just didn't grab me like the rest of it. I was really interested, again, in the adventure aspect of it. I feel like you, they could have tightened it down to like a, like a really lean 90 minutes. Yeah. And it would have been a really like fast-paced, exciting kind of movie. Well, And I will say, like, some of the frolicking in the woods and stuff like that, that's very French. It's very that's French true. art. <laughs> and so I can see kind of why they did it. That doesn't mean that I, I'm the biggest fan of it. Right. Uh, I mean, the the other French films that I've seen um, and French documentaries, I, I'm sad to say that I've seen a couple of all French documentaries have been very slow and very... They have a lot of establishing shots. Very like, deliberate. Yeah, yeah, like the shots themselves probably could have been five to ten seconds shorter and you left out the part of them walking for five or ten seconds before they get to their destination. And it just doesn't say anything, but it establishes a lot of where they are. Like, we still know where they are if you pick it up five to ten seconds later. And it just keeps it much faster. But it, but it is very French. So yeah. that's, I mean, I can see. It kind of reminded me, you remember, have you seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? You know, I haven't. There's, there's a scene, it's a really exciting, like, it western adventure kind of movie there's this scene right in the middle of the movie where for no good reason at all paul newman begins to like woo his his love interest and it's it's a montage of him riding an old-timey bicycle with the song raindrops keep falling on my head (laughs) like playing over the background it's like this five minute montage of just him doing like like like, hey, I'm I'm hilarious, doing really weird stuff at, in the middle of a really good western. And every time I watch that movie, I think, why is this in this movie? And to me, the frolicking in the woods felt like that scene from Butch yeah. Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. If anybody's seen that movie, you're going to know what I'm talking about. It, it has no place in that movie at all, and and it's there. And so, um, to me, that's what it continued to because in the middle of this really exciting heist movie, we're t- 20 minutes of. Let's go back to the woods and believes not wearing a shirt. And he's yeah, <laughs> exactly. You, you do get to see a lot of Philippe, naked Philippe. Yeah, well, half naked, not Philippe. fully naked, half naked Philippe. Yeah, um, but otherwise, it was a really good movie. Have you seen just parenthetically? Have you seen the Modern Family episode where 
Phil watches this movie and he gets inspired to walk across his lawn on a high wire. No, I haven't. Oh, you've got to. I don't know the name of it. I'll I'll, I'll find it and I'll send it okay. to you. But um, but yeah, there's there's an episode of um of Modern Family that is clearly and very blatantly <laughs> influenced by. Oh oh wait, you know what? I think I have. I thought you said Family Guy. No, I have seen the one, the Modern Family one. Yes, 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 yes. It's pretty I'm great. Sorry. It's pretty great. Um, so. All right, any other positives, negatives, stray observations you wanted to, to give here? No, I mean, I, I again, I, I really liked the movie. I thought it was, I thought it was not only, as far as, as documentaries go, I thought it was a great story and kind of a, a beautiful film, which, I mean, I, I'm way more into the stories than I am into the beauty of a film, but I will say that I thought this was actually a pretty beautiful. I agree. I completely agree with that. That's a that's a really good way to put it. Well, how would you rate this on a scale of one to ten? I think that is. I would give it a nine. That's a that's a strong rating. Yeah, that's pretty good. I, I would give it a nine just because I, I did like it so much, and and now that I've seen it multiple times and I still like it, that's why it's getting such a high rating. Awesome. Because a lot of times, if I see a movie twice, I start picking out flaws in it, mm-hmm. um, or at least you know sometimes I see it two and three times. This one. I think I caught more nuanced things that I didn't catch the first time, and I really liked it more. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to give it a seven and a half. I like I said, I really I enjoyed the adventure aspect of it, the and the overall story. I'm really glad I know it. Um, the, the only it would lose points for me just sort of in the middle where yeah. it begins to sort of lose its pace a bit. I also just a stray observation I just remembered is that the title of the film itself comes from the police report from when he was arrested. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they didn't know how to describe what he did, and so they just wrote "man on wire" on the ticket. Yeah, and so that's <laughs> I, I, I like that that was that was a fun tie-in to what had happened there all right well next time we're gonna watch about another i'm sorry next time we're gonna watch a documentary about another interesting compelling figure also in new york uh bill cunningham new york will be our subject for the next uh, episode of real movies you can find you can find us what's our twitter handle uh at real movies at real and we have a tumblr page yes real movies podcast no, yeah, realmoviespodcast.tumblr.com. Cool, and we also have a Facebook page. You can like us at uh, facebook.com slash realmoviespodcast. And uh, let us know. If there's a documentary you'd like us to watch and, and talk about, let us know. You can post it. Also, be sure and like us on Facebook just so we know that you're out there. And um, that's pretty much it for us. So, John, see you all next week. See you next time.